Welcome to OsteoCast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brokel, Amanda Boysen, and Sarah Pucal. Welcome back to another episode of OsteoCast. Today, unfortunately, we are missing one of our hosts. Sarah is extremely busy. She's got all kinds of stuff going on. She's moving houses and clinics and all kinds of stuff. So she is uh, not around for uh, for the day. So Amanda and I are jumping on to record a podcast for you guys. So we hope that you enjoy it without uh, Sarah's constant entertainment. But nevertheless, <laughs> we are here. And today we are going to record an episode, talk to you guys a little bit about uh, osteopathy and health uh, with aging and some considerations in not only movement process, treatment process, and assessment with the elderly population. Uh, really, something that's greatly important with patients as they get older is some things in life change, as we all know, and taking those things into consideration, making sure those components are taken care of, and making sure that you're guiding those patients in the right direction to keep their health as long as they can, keep normal movement patterns as long as they can, and essentially trying to help them with their quality of life as long as they can. So we're going to dive right into that today and uh, and go from there. So first things first, uh, Amanda, what are some of the, the main concerns or considerations when you're dealing with the elderly population uh, in clinic in particular to start with that uh, are something that everybody should know as far as practitioners or as patients listening? Well, I think the biggest thing to start is that we know that the tissues and the structures start to change um, from a histological perspective, but also from a movement capacity perspective. So your expectation in terms of what you should find in an assessment might be very different or will be very different than when you're looking at someone who might be, you know, a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. So we have to take into consideration that those tissues are changing. Um, It doesn't necessarily change your assessment in terms of making sure that you want to have good range of motion in all the joints and making sure that things are moving well together and as individual parts. Um, But the system as a whole is starting to change. And so we need to take that into consideration. So some of those changes that might occur might be that you have, you know, hardening of tissues or tissues that are changing in their range of motion tissues. Also bone bony structures can become more frail. Um, So there might be more pain or discomfort associated with some of those things. And so making sure that you understand the aging process is a big part of treatment because your expectation and your um, healing process for that person might change just based on their health history and what you're finding because they're aging as a whole. Gotcha. There's like a natural point in time and it's a little bit different for everybody where the body starts to downregulate or become uh, catabolic in some nature where it starts to break down unless of course and I'm, I know we're going to talk about this next here but unless of course there's extra effort to maintain some of those things and I know that a lot of people hear about things like obviously muscular strength and balance and bone density is a big one with age. So these are all things that naturally probably, and it's different for everybody, but age 50 to 60, those things start to downregulate and those things start to lose some of their strength and capacities. But if they're challenged on a reasonable level on a regular basis, they can maintain or improve still. And what I mean by challenging is basically using them. 
making sure that you're moving on a regular basis, that you're using some level of resistance if it's capable or if you're capable of doing so, um, which could be lifting weights or carrying some heavy, heavy loads, but challenging to make sure that the you're giving the body signals to maintain bone density and muscular strength is a big part of it. Um, with the development or maintenance of those things, that's going to help fight against that that natural breakdown over time. So that's one thing that everybody should be working on throughout their entire life, but especially it's it's quite important as you get to that, uh, that age group or age bracket. Um, as far as, as guidelines it, in and around that, where would you lean towards on that, Amanda? Sorry, guidelines for what? For training? Uh, yeah, guidelines just as far as trying to maintain some of those capacities. I know like obviously getting people to move regularly, but do you have any sort of, of tips or tricks or guidelines that you give to those elderly patients to, to work on those things? Well, to stay within our scope of um, practice, I always talk about um, coordination, stability, and balance being a big portion of staying healthy. So, I mean, it totally depends on who's in your office, but for almost everybody, we talk about the importance of making sure that there's some sort of balance or stability training inside of your exercise regime. So that could be very simple um, or that can be more complex depending on what that looks like. Um, But also making sure that they get out for a walk every day is also very important. Making sure that they're eating healthy food um, and trying to stay mobile as much as possible because flexibility is going to decrease over time as well. So making sure that, you know, you're using those joints, all the joints through the ranges of motion that are available to you in any capacity as much as possible. Exactly. Do you have any recommendations that you normally give people? No, honestly, it's very similar to what you said. The biggest thing is getting people to move and keeping them moving and really having a conversation and understanding that there are like how important moving is and how important balance is. And I know that you were reading some research earlier that kind of prompted this conversation. Um, But in regards to how important or statistically anyways, how important maintaining balance and strength and mobility is um, to reduce risk of injury, reduce risk of falls and strains and fractures. And also uh, some of the stats were just reducing the risk of, of death in general. So having the conversation with some patients to, to go over how important, you know, a walk a day is. And when you go for that walk at the end of your walk to, uh, you know, do some chair sits or do some squats or do some arm circles or to, you know, do some marching in place, whatever they're capable of doing, depending on the patient and their, their abilities. But all it takes is, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a day of movement, whether it's standing next to the kitchen counter and holding on and moving the legs around or going for a walk, but how much of a difference that will make long-term for them. And I don't know if you want to touch on some of that, that information that you you're reading. For sure. The one thing I do want to say though, just about comment you just made is that um, most people think this has to be this big extravagant, oh, I have to go to a gym or I have to, you know, carve out two hours of my day to work on this stuff. And it's, it's really not the case. It's just about adding this in wherever you can. Like you said, maybe it's every time you're standing in front of the kitchen counter, you're standing on one foot um, trying to balance or you're moving 
your arms in circles when you're sitting at your computer or, you know, if you've read your paper and you've been looking at the counter or doing a Sudoku or a word puzzle, then, you know, you spend some time reaching for the ceiling. It doesn't have to be extravagant. But in terms of um, stats, I've definitely heard this stat before. So then I did go and look it up because I wanted to make sure that I had this correct. But um, so the statistic is that you're twice as likely to die in the next decade if you're unable to balance on one foot for 10 seconds or more. Um, There's a new study that, yeah, it is pretty crazy. Um, So there's a new study that came out just in June uh, that was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine that talks about that a person's balance can be a, um, a predictor for their next decade of life. And so when I initially heard this statistic, it was more in the context of, um, single leg strength being so important because typically in older populations, falls are more of a prominent occurrence and being able to get your foot out in front of you quickly, and then actually being able to place your foot on the floor and stabilize will one, uh, avert the fall, but you'll actually be able to keep yourself um, stable and not not fall. But the other thing is, is that if you got that foot out in front of you and you couldn't stabilize on it, you're more likely to break or injure the leg or the hip because then you're going to fall on that that foot or that leg that's now out in front of you that you couldn't stabilize on. Yeah. But also to mention that this the statistic is very relatable in terms of care long-term. So if you're able to take care of yourself and long-term sit on a toilet, get yourself off of that toilet, so being able to squat um, and do activities of daily living, the long the longer you can do those things, the longer you can stay in your own environment um, if that's your choice. Yeah, so that's, that's huge for a lot of also people. Also very interesting. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I mean, there's a whole muscular and strength component, you know, to that as well. But just from a real life standpoint, those are our big things. Yeah. And the, the, as far as trying to, like, if you're not at that point now as, as someone listening, or if you have loved ones or patients that are not at that point at this current time, as far as getting to be able to have that that single leg strength or that ability to balance uh, on each leg, as Amanda was saying with that research there is just starting somewhere and building up to it. Right. There are all kinds of different guidelines for movement. I know I was looking up the, like the CDC guidelines for, for uh, elderly movement. And I think it's um, adults age 65 or older, and they recommend that they should have 150 minutes of moderate activity per week which ends up being like 15 to th- or 20 to 30 minutes a day, seven days a week kind of thing. or And they also have a recommendation that they have two days a week of activities specifically to strengthen muscles, not just going for a, a simple walk or something. But those are quite, obviously those are CDC guidelines, but that's a lot to ask for someone who currently may do 15 minutes a week of exercise, right? So starting mm-hmm. very very low and simple is is okay and starting at whatever level the patient's at but i know i've had patients that can go from doing nothing at all and it's a 6 month process and now they can walk for 30 minutes without any pain or without getting winded and now they're doing some exercises on a regular basis at home whether it's uh push-ups off the wall whether it's reaching for the ceiling whether it's single leg balancing or um doing the stairs without stopping at every stair. Now there's all kinds of things 
that can be done in markers. And truthfully, I think that this is the direction that needs to be taken more so than like, oh, we need to do deadlifts or or squats or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think it really needs to be something that can be done at home and something that maybe doesn't require, besides a walk, specific time in the day where it's like, this is my 30 minutes of exercise. I think it's something that just needs to be added where they stand when they do their crossword puzzle and they make sure that they do you know, step by step instead of stopping at every stair when they, they go up the stairs. And I also think that it's quite important to make sure or build it into the routine and not that it becomes something that has to be thought about on a regular basis, just so that it becomes part of their normal life. And over a period of weeks or months, they develop that level of, of capability, coordination and strength again. I totally agree. I do find it fascinating though, that like when we think about populations, work related, um, things that most people are working later into their let's quote unquote retirement or working while they're in retirement. Um, so most people are adding that activity in if they're, you know, my grandfather used to cut grass for people when he retired. So there's different things you can do to add this stuff in that keeps you moving that, um, maybe you're not thinking about. Um, but in in terms of that focused, like, Hey, I want to try and work on that stability coordination um, strength piece. It, it, it has to be manageable and it has to be accessible every day. Yeah. Well, and this is one thing that I have with a, a lot of my patients actually, and it's a service that's offered here in Windsor. Um, they have like, I can't remember what days it is. I think it's Tuesday and Thursday morning at like nine o'clock. They have a 30 minute chair yoga on one of the local TV stations for, for elderly population. So it's something where they can do it from their home if they choose to. And they go on, they can stand in front of the TV with the chair or the couch or whatever they're using and spend 30 minutes doing a instructed yoga class, which is, I mean, covers all of the bases for this stuff. But I also yeah. think that it's, it's very important if your elderly population is okay with it um, and being social. So I'm totally okay. And I, I encourage them to go to some of these fitness classes, whether it's, you know, Zumba or aqua fitness or uh, chair yoga Mm -hmm. or whatever class or fitness it is, because it also adds a social aspect, which is very important for them as well. And then it creates some level of accountability and fun around these movements. So they want to go, you know, two or three times a week, and maybe it turns into 20 or 30 minutes of exercise. Plus, maybe they go for a tea. And then next thing you know, the nice weather rolls around and they're going for a walk with the people they've met and it creates a, a habit and a healthy lifestyle socialization for them as well, mm-hmm. which I think is, is really important, especially in some of the elderly population They they start to, to lose some of that social component. Some of them are really good. Some people are really good at maintaining it, but other people lose their, their social aspect and their friends because it just becomes too tough to get out and about. So I think it's important in some cases that I, I encourage that anyway, so that they can not only get the movement in, but also have some, you know, mental health, getting out with some friends, maybe getting a couple laughs in all of those things. For sure. Pickleball has become really huge around here. I don't know if pickleball is big there, but it's, it's, massive. it's a big deal here now. But I don't know how many people <laughs> I've had in with injuries from pickleball <laughs> because they're not ready to be running side to side yet. It's that like quick change of direction, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So pickleball is yeah. a great one. I'm all about that, but you got to be ready for it, which maybe these things are steps before that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in the clinic, when you see an elderly patient, does does anything change in terms of your assessment or your discussions with them? Or are there any specific questions you ask um, related to their, their health and fitness um, or any recommendations that you tend to give? Well, as always, it's completely dependent on the patient. But some of the differences are not necessarily in the interaction itself. Um, but what I'm looking for and what I'm seeing, so as we talked about earlier, the expectations of ranges of motion are different from a 30-year-old patient or a 40-year-old patient or a 75-year-old patient is probably the biggest thing. I always have my patients do a standing assessment and see how they how they walk and how they stand up. And I always have them do a full circle. Like I look at them from the front and the side and the back. And more importantly, with my elderly population is not actually how their postural positions are, but how well they can turn and how they pivot on their feet to see how well their single leg balances, how well they do with rotation and motion. And then it, that's really the, the only main difference. Everything else on the table tends to be a similar assessment, but again, there's different expectations and movement capacities. I really find that breathing is a, is a huge thing, especially in the elderly population. It's important yes. for everybody, but rib cage mechanics and breathing even more so in my elderly population. And I find that as people age, it's not actually because of the aging process, but I find it's because they, they don't, challenge their bodies as much because they're getting older and they relax more and they play more chess or whatever it may be. But the rib cage mm-hmm. and the body in general loses pliability, but the rib cage, especially because unless you're taking big, deep breaths pretty much on a daily basis, your rib cage will lose some of its pliability. So as you become more sedentary or your, your exercise is at a lower intensity, the rib cage will lose some of its pliability. So I find that's a very important spot that I tend to go to not only in assessment, but in treatment and also in some guidelines as far as adding some breathing exercises to make sure that we can get some more pliability in the cage because that's massive for movement in all aspects and also in heart health and lung health and overall health is making sure that the lungs and the heart and the rib cage are moving and have the space to move as best as they can. And then lastly, as we talked about with movements is depending on where they're currently at, I always give some guidelines or ask them to do some variation of movement, whether it's balance movements, whether it's walking, whether it's marching on the spot, but something to improve their health. And it depends on the age of the elderly person and what they're already doing. But those are some of my, my main components I'm looking at is one, how their balance is to is their breathing. And then I always want to make sure we're encouraging some movement if they're quite sedentary. How about you? Yeah, I would agree with all of those things. Um, the one thing that you're talking about too, with in terms of rib cage motion and mobility is also just how hard the cardiovascular system has to work with changes. Um, so most of the time, like you said, people tend to to decrease their activity or their intensity of their activity. Um, and so that your heart rate gets really good or your cardiovascular system gets really good at staying at that like stable rate. And it's when we start to change that from like very stable to changing to something pretty intense. It's that, that jump that, um, can become an issue later. So I just want to make sure that 
um, people are moving enough that those changes with the increased activity or intensity um, can happen and you can recover from those well. So, I mean, having some physical activity, eating a good diet, um, sleep and, and exercises is, is always a, a big portion of that. And that's really um, when we talk about self-healing, self-regulating principles of osteopathy, this is a big one for that. And rib cage motion is is the functionality of that. Absolutely. And as we talk about all of these things, this aging process is to some extent inevitable to occur. But I know mm-hmm. I've read research in the past, uh, actually relatively recently, but I, I can't recall who it was or it was from. I'd have to look it up to, to go to it. But a lot of these things are almost completely preventable to some extent, or you can massively slow them down with regular exercise and overall health. So it's very important if you have patients and friends and family members who are approaching those situations, and they could be 25 years old and already looking like they're going to approach the time where they're going to have trouble moving when they're older. It's really important to, to try and get the body healthy early on and maintain that health and maintain exercise because a lot of the muscle mass decrease, the, the breakdown of bone density, the loss of balance can be prevented with regular exercise, regular strength training or resistance training, regular balance training throughout your lifetime. I know I'm sure most people in the health field, if they've gone through some physiology textbooks, have seen the picture where it shows a 70-year-old leg that doesn't resistance train and it's a little bit of muscle with a bunch of fat surrounding it versus the 70-year-old person who does triathlons where it's all muscle with a little bit of fat around it. And not that you have to be to either of the extremes, but the purpose being if you're not exercising, you're going to have less muscle, you're going to have less balance and the risk factors that Amanda talked about earlier as far as falling and injuring or fracturing bones and things are going to become much more prevalent. So having regular exercise and regular stimulation of those tissues is really the the key to, you know, anti-aging <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, it just helps your body move, like do its natural processes better, right? So typically constipation is an issue with the older elderly population. So if you're moving all the time and ambulating a lot and moving those tissues, you're more likely to keep a happy stomach and keep that, that bowel, those bowel movements more regular. So, I mean, that is also, of course, you need to drink enough water and eat enough, you know, good food and nutritious food as well. But this, it's all a piece of the puzzle. And if you're doing a little bit of that every single day, you're going to keep that 1% better or keep that moving more long-term than if you weren't. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to add from a clinical perspective in terms of Hmm. osteopathy in the elderly population? Hmm. For practitioners and for patients, practitioners, make sure that you're paying attention and being diligent with all of your patients, regardless of age. And for patients, make sure that your practitioners are taking care of you. (laughs) There's not really like, any other specific little things, every patient is different. And if we had 25 case studies, every conversation would have similarities and every conversation would be different. So make sure that you're being detail oriented mm-hmm. and, and taking care of the people that are in front of you, not just what the textbook says. But I do not have any other specific guidelines besides 
helping them move better, helping their bodies increase their health, and then of course giving them some some guidelines and some help as far as what they can do at home to improve their own health. That's really where it's at and making sure that they're being treated fairly and that you're doing your best to help every patient that comes in the door. Perfect. Yeah. The only thing I was going to say was just that, remember, you're comparing that person to the person you first saw them on the first treatment as. So making sure that, you know, you're seeing that change over time um, with that individual patient as you go and not comparing to, you know, another person of the same age and demographic that you saw in the office. Because that's that's how you're really going to make good change. That's such an important point. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you for listening for us to us today. We're sorry that uh, Sarah was not with us, uh, but she will be back in the future. Um, in the meantime, if we're you missing have, her greatly. Yes, as you can tell, we're very sad she's not here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you guys have any questions, please shoot us a message. You guys know where to find us on Instagram and Facebook at osteocast underscore. Uh, Other than that, have a great one. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening.